So Beth Segaloff, grief yoga instructor, laughter yoga instructor. I'm still learning more about you. Will you introduce yourself and tell a little bit about your story and how you got here? Sure. So I guess, first of all, I just want to say that the, the word grief is a word that like I never really connected with until I had to connect with it. And even just softening the word and using the word in a general, not a general way, but um, just using it because it's much more sort of socially acceptable to use the word grief. And I, um, I'd been through a lot in my in my life. I had been divorced. I was I was married, divorced. We had a son, and he's now seventeen. We divorced when he was about two, and that was you know a really big first look into my life not um, not going as planned. And I didn't realize that I was grieving it at the time because I think I was so in the, um, you know, I had a young child and I was working a lot and surviving. And at the same time, a lot of numbing going on. So I was avoiding a lot of those feelings. And in it, at the same time, in that process, I was blessed to have love enter my life in a way that it was really that like most magical moment that people talk about of we literally laid eyes on one another and it was like, Oh, you Mm -hmm. and our families, our friends, we live in the same uh, little adorable beach community. And we just happened to be in the same place at the same time. So I known him, you know, a lot of my life, but we were, um, I was older than him. So never in the same place at the same time until that moment. And, you know, it was just that, that magical moment, literally of like, I felt like I was home. And, you know, six weeks later, he said to me, I have good news and I have bad news. And he said, the bad news or the good news first. So the good news is that we're going to get married next summer on the beach. And the bad news is I'm deploying. And so we spent that next amount of time together. It's really like every moment was just a blessing. Mm. And, you know, he and my son fell in love instantly as well. And it, you know, so much of the relationship was also based on the future planning. I mean, really just the knowing that he was going to be deployed helped you all be in the moment and appreciate every moment. I'm sure even more than you would have. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, it's almost hard to put into words because I just, it was this, just this full body knowing of this is my life, you know, and this is what I've been waiting for. And, you know, it was beautiful until you receive the knock on your door mm. and it's just my world completely collapsed, completely collapsed and thrown into a spiral of, of shock, of denial, of pain, of, you know, and that, 
it's, you know, and it's funny, as I'm talking about, it's like, I, I realized I stopped, almost stopped breathing. I just took a breath because it's just, it comes back. It's, it's, it, um, that, that, that story plays out of, of being notified and, and the process after was just devastating. Just as you know, I do know. Um, and everything changed in an instant. Mm-hmm. My life is very much a before and after. Very much before and after. And I can say that, you know, it's been 11 years. 11 years is a long time. And time is a really odd concept because I have done so much healing and so much growth. And I, and at the same time, it's another day that he's not here. It's another day that he's missed see, you know, experience life with me and with my son. And I remember, you know, shortly after he, he died, I, I definitely had this knowing of my God, like I experienced more in a short time than maybe some people ever had. And how lucky am I? And I felt like what I want is to the best legs people. I mean, and I wonder how this was for you because, you know, people started saying, you know, what's the legacy? What's the legacy? And I'm like, the legacy, like he's 32, like, you know, it's how, and, and, and so I felt like the best legacy that I could lead is to live my life to the fullest in every possible capacity. So to love more, to have more joy, to laugh more, to experience more, to have more purpose, to serve more people. Um, you know, and that was a big part actually of our, our sort of present when we were together and future together of serving more people. You know, he was in the army, but he was a civil affairs officer. So his role was very humanitarian. And we had a lot of beautiful goals together of how to support our community and beyond. So and he, he lived his life and he died in service. He did. To his country. Yes. And thank you, you know, thank mm-hmm. you for, for his service and for your service as well. And, and, you know, your sacrifice. I appreciate that. And that's sort of a side issue at the same time, because the army, you know, we weren't, we didn't officially get married and, you know, we didn't get married because I felt like my son had been through a lot already. And I said, I was like, well, we get married before you go. He may have this feeling of like, okay, we got married. Now he's leaving me. So, you know, I've, I've definitely had to, and now it's, it's, it's not how I feel, but for a while, because, you know, um, not officially considered his wife. Right not recognized officially. And that's fine. I don't, I didn't need that, but from, I, but I had to do some work around that because I knew it didn't, piece of paper didn't matter. And, but that was, that was something that, that I had to process for a while because it was, I got, I got judgment from people around, Oh, you weren't married. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the, 
what I was sort of saying before around the, you know, my wanting the legacy to be my way of how I can live my life. And at the same time, you know, the feelings connected to grief block that. And, and, you know, it's interesting and maybe good for the audience to hear giving permission to can, I mean, grief lasts. Um, it's eight years and I grieve every day for the loss of Jesse and it's been 11 years for you. And I think what I've learned and why we address grief now in our school programming is because of the fear that I saw around grief. And even in Sandy Hook, I mean, nobody, everybody knew about the tragedy, obviously, and especially in Sandy Hook. And from the outside, you looked in and you thought, oh, wow, well, they're getting the best of the best help. Everybody knows about it. Everybody's coming into town to help them. And the interesting thing was, in reality, there was a tremendous amount of fear addressing the grief. Now, JT was one of few victim siblings. In fact, one of two victim siblings that went back to the middle school. And they, I had, they did not want to address it. Let's put it that way. And it was pretty interesting. We had 60 minutes in our living room. Now, JT would come home. Uh, that's okay. I'm going to talk about the 60 minutes in a minute. Um, but that kind of brought it full circle. So JT would come home and he would say, mom, nobody cares about me. And I would say, oh, yes, they do. The, and he was, and he'd say, no, nobody at school cares about me. And I would say, oh gosh, I just got off the phone with your teachers and your guidance counselor. And you know, that you, you have a special plan and you get more time and you know, this and that, and they've, you get to go to a certain place if you want to uh, by yourself and they care. And he would say, no, mom, they don't care. And, and no amount of my trying to convince him ever did. And finally, it was a friendship that I developed with the president of the Elizabeth Kubler-Ross Foundation. Her name is Diane Gray. She's a beautiful person. She's now a dear friend of mine. And I was on the phone with her one day and I was saying, Diane, you know, I just, no amount of my convincing um, will get JT to think that anyone at school cares about him. And she said, well, I know why. And I said, why? Because I've been pulling my hair out about this. And she said, nobody's had the courage to validate his grief. I will never forget those words. And when I asked yeah. them, they said, no, I said, we, we haven't, we don't ask him how he is. We don't talk about Jesse. We've never said his name. We don't, you know, we're, we're afraid. We're afraid. What, what if we don't want to remind him that's one, that was one big one. And I kind of laugh at that because of course you're never going to remind me of what happened. Don't worry. Uh, uh, or JT. Um, and the other thing was the fear that they wouldn't have the, the necessary skills and tools to address, you know, if he said he wasn't okay. So they never asked him if he was okay. And, uh, and you know, the thing is, and, and what I learned is that it all boils down to just the courage to be present with somebody that is in grief. It doesn't, it has nothing to do with skills and tools. It's literally having the courage to be present in, in that, in that kind of uncomfortableness. 100%. Yes. Right? 
And yeah. so then getting to the 60 minutes, 60 minutes uh, was in our living room and they literally asked JT, um, and this is what brought it all together for me. Did anybody talk to you at school about the tragedy? Um, and JT said, no, he, they said nobody ever, you know, cause they had people that were, you know, uh, from, from mental health organizations that were implanted in the schools and, you know, supposedly all of this extra help. And, uh, JT said, no, no one ever spoke to me. Nobody ever said Jesse's name. Nobody ever asked me how I was and nobody ever addressed the tragedy unless it was actually in a class and they talked about the tragedy without even the acknowledgement that JT was sitting in the room. So that made me realize, wow, okay, we need to talk about grief. We need to, 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 have the teach the courage you know courage science tells us courage is like a muscle we can develop these muscles to be able to be present for people that are grieving we need to do this and and i will fully admit you know prior to my own personal tragedy, I was one of those people that was afraid to acknowledge. I would rather kind of not show up for somebody than to show up for somebody. And I would make excuses and I would say, well, you know, their family is all around them now. And then, you know, a month would pass. It's like, well, it's Valentine's Day. That's an awkward time to say anything. And so I'm just going to wait. And then, of course, there was never the perfect time and I wouldn't do it. So I totally get it. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, now having gone through my own personal tragedy and watching um, the the pain that that occurs and and the feeling that uh, there's no caring when people don't. Uh, when they don't show up and and aren't present for your grief, I think it's really, it's an important thing to talk about because grief is a normal part of life. Grief is something that we all experience and it doesn't have to be the loss of a significant other. It can be the loss of a pet, which is significant. Uh, the, The loss of a relationship, the loss of the future that we thought we were gonna have. Now I'm talking about COVID, the loss of being able to see people the loss of the schedule that we had, um, the loss of a grade, the loss of an opportunity, all of these things um, invoke grieving. And we really need to be able to acknowledge it and to sit with it and to be able to grow through it. 100% everything you just said. And when I sent you an email earlier and was like, when we're talking, we're basically saying the same thing. That's basically everything that I would have just said. It's the same conversation. And it is really, it's really fascinating. And, you know, I also had a similar experience when Ben died. Danny was in kindergarten and we were in a new town, a mile away from the town that I was in before, but a new town. And he... And, you know, when somebody dies in the military, you are assigned, it's like the worst name ever, a casualty assistance officer. And that person is with you through the steps of a lot of the logistics in terms of um, going to Dover to bring his body back in terms of his belongings and having to go through all of them. And, And so the person who... Um, was connected with us, we formed a really beautiful relationship with him. And so he would 
um, come to our apartment and he would, and at certain times would like walk me and Danny to school, walk back. Like it just was a really a way to connect. And so my point is that the military was around quite a bit. And I remember about a month after I asked the principal of the school and I said, you know, I'm just curious because it felt like nobody knew, no one said a word. Literally, it was like we were invisible. No one, no one said a word. And I asked the principal, I was like, you know, I'm just curious what you do in your community when somebody dies. And I swear to you, word for word, she said, well, usually we send out a letter, but you're new here and he wasn't the father. And then about a month later, it was Veterans Day. And now, mind you, I'm a school social worker or was a school social worker. So very in tuned with like all of this, what was not happening. Right. And I asked the school, I think it was the school psychologist. And I said, I'm just curious, or maybe it was the principal. I don't know which one, but they were both involved in one of these responses. What, what do you do for Veterans Day? And she said, it's not in the curriculum, period. And it was like, what a missed opportunity because I knew my son was on the playground talking about playing out using language around death. And now I was talking about it with him at home in a very open way, but the community or the school was not. And just to reflect back, you know, so it is what, what you're sharing my experience and I do think, of course, people care. Of course, they care. Right. And of course, right. and, I, and no one's being, no one's being malicious. No one was ill-intended. I fully believe that. But the discomfort around how to manage grief. And I would say to people, you know, people say, what can we do? And I would be like, can you just sit with me? That's really all I need you to do is sit with me. I don't need you to go food shopping for me. I don't need you to drink, you know, drive my son around. I just need you to sit with me. And a lot of people could, and a lot of people could not. And, you know, I think that that, right, that being witnessed in your pain, and I would just say, like, I can't, I can't give this to you. And if you're going to ask me how I am, I may really actually tell you the truth. I have a hard time holding it in. So, you know, and I got better at that, realizing like not everybody needed to know my deepest, darkest um, emotions at any time. Right. But I think there's such, I mean, you feel like you're, or I did, I can't say, I felt like I was literally raw, open, like, can you see every wound of me? It was very hard for me to hide it. And um, to sort of, you know, fast forward, because again, I was a school social worker and I loved that job. I loved that role because I loved working with kids and being with them on the playground and in the classroom and working with the families and it was very fulfilling. And after Ben died, you know, it was very hard to go back to work at that time. I did, but it was probably did an okay job at that. And at the same time, I started receiving different modalities for healing. So um, a friend of mine was a Reiki master and she started, um, you know, sharing energy work with me. And that was um something I'd never experienced before that was incredibly healing. Ooh. Speaking of, hold on, I have a candle burning. 
that was powerful for me too. The energy healing. Yeah, I really opened myself up to anything that came along mm-hmm. to try. I thought, well, it's not going to hurt, and it might help. Um, yeah. I was, that, that takes courage too, because I saw a lot of other people closing themselves off with yeah. feeling, well, what if it doesn't? And there's two different ways to think of things. What if it does? And then what if it doesn't? And I'd love to speak to that. Yeah. Because I have always been a, and a, willing to do anything. Tell me it's going to help me and I'll do it. And I'll try. And I'm very open again, but I do think that takes a lot of courage because it's the unknown. Well, what's going to happen if I lay on a table and no one's touching me and it's energy work? What the heck does that mean? And I know that was, that opened up for me also, which we are all um, capable uh, spiritual beings of connecting to something greater than us. And so I experienced something on an energetic level that is un- that's, that's undescribable really in words. And it led me down this path then of, um, I also, you know, when we're in grief and in trauma, our bodies zip up and tighten up and constrict. And I'm a very, you know, athletic, physical person. And I'd always sort of done yoga, but I got to a point where, you know, years after he died, where I was doing yoga, but more for physical practice. And I then found myself on the mat, um, came to my local studio and I just sobbed. I sobbed and I wept and my mat became a sanctuary and it became a space of allowing. And I over time, you know, my body just started to release and relax. And I allowed the emotions and the feelings to move through in a very different way. And so again, it was sort of the same, these different things where I was realizing I could tell my story over and over again. I'm used to telling the story that helps. Obviously talking is an incredible tool for therapy, but all these other things with a mind, body, spirit perspective, we're really just opening up different levels of healing. And so I decided to leave school social work and I got trained in all the things. And I became a yoga teacher and a Reiki master and a breathwork facilitator and a fire walking, you know, coach, board breaking, all like all. Is that what you were doing just then? (laughs) (laughs) Um, All crazy things. But I think what I want to share about that is, when I'm with a group of people or with one-on-one, it not that it doesn't matter what we're doing because there's science and research behind all of those things. Yes, I love that too. And at the same time, when I'm sitting with somebody and witnessing them and holding space and being fully present, it is the most humbling experience And I don't have to do anything but actually get out of the way and be present so that I can give that other person with me or people permission to show up exactly as they are in either their deepest pain and just witness, not just (laughs) witness. Mm -hmm. It is the most potent medicine that I've experienced and so if I, I just feel like if I can give that back to somebody for just a breath, even, then I feel 
just really humbled. Yeah, that's beautiful. I know that I was the only single parent, well, Jesse's father as well. We were the only single parents in Mm -hmm. all of the uh, 20 parents of the 20 victims. And I remember going to meetings and I remember seeing uh, the couples holding each other, holding hands, sobbing into each other's shoulders. And I thought, hmm, because <laughs> I was always alone. And uh, I thought, wow, okay, that 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 would be nice because I didn't have that. And I remember talking to one of the moms and saying, you know, how nice it must be to have somebody that you can share your grief with. And she said, you know, it's, yes, it looks that way during that time, but in reality, we're on different grieving time zones. You know, he goes to work and he's up and, and, and has energy during that time, but he wants to come home and crash. I've crashed throughout the day. I'm grieving during the day. And then, you know, when he's home and I'm making dinner for my son, I want to come up. So we're just kind of never on the same grieving schedule. And that made me feel a little bit better. Like I wasn't completely missing out. Yeah. (laughs) And it's, it's alone. yeah, and I'm glad that you bring that up because as a single parent, right, I also felt like I'm, and being isolated in your grief is part of the grieving process, right? And at the same time, so I know for me, I, um, somebody introduced me really early on to an organization called the American Widow Project. And they were incredible for so many reasons. One was because they accepted me because I wasn't an official widow. Mm -hmm. Official, right? Because we weren't married. And I don't know how this was for you, but to be with people who did get that experience, to to be with people who got that same knock on the door, with the same people who had to deal with, you know, a 21 gun salute or to going through the belongings or whatever it may be that to be with, to have a sense of belonging and connection for people who had been through something similar. And what I loved about this group as well too, is just to go back to what we were talking about in the beginning is they were, um, it was so much also seeped in in hope and moving through and doing taking action to do things to feel good. Like I remember, and they did a lot of retreats, so which you know we can't be doing right today. But and I remember going on my first weekend with them, and at that time, I would go out and be with friends and do things, but I had a very quick exit plan. You know, I knew like I'm just, all right. I got to go by mm-hmm. and. I was very worried. How am I going to do that? Like with, with that being that a mile from my house or not having a car. And I remember the first night being there and we were, um, I don't know if we were out at a restaurant or whatever it was, but I looked at my watch. It was like two o'clock in the morning and I was laughing and like singing and hugging and sharing and crying and laughing and telling stories and then laughing. And it was like, Oh, we can laugh too. 
Yeah. And so it was so much again, but just of like all of those things of that sense of, and I brought this up because you were just saying how you felt like you were doing it alone. Yeah. And Isn't so I think part of it is being, is being, you know, able to surround yourself around people who do get it. It's really important. And for me, compassionate friends was that yeah. vehicle. I was invited to speak at a compassionate friends conference in Chicago. And I don't think I probably would have gone uh, if, if I wasn't speaking. So I remember going and it was this huge, um, you know, grand hotel and then a big conference room, an auditorium really. And um, I remember there were, I don't know, maybe 50 tables and they were filled and there were so many people and I did not want to go in that room. I remember waiting outside the door thinking, it's like going in that big room with all of those bereaved parents would make me part of that group. And it was just not a group that I wanted to be a part of. I did not want to belong to compassionate friends. I I didn't want to do it. And I remember just like literally standing outside the door and it took me 15 minutes to walk in that room. And I found my table and I started listening to the speakers and I started talking to the people at my table. And I thought, I am a, a, a part of this. I am one of these people. This is where I belong. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I was happy to be there then. And I realized, wow, this is my group. These are my people. And, and there is a place that I belong. And uh, there was a little teddy bear with a Compassionate Friends t-shirt in the middle. And you got to like, I don't know if the number was under your seat, I think. And whoever got some number got won the bear. And I won the bear. And that Compassionate Friends teddy bear, I sleep with every night. And that was, I don't know, five or six years ago. Mm -hmm. And I still have that compassionate friends, teddy bear Mm -hmm. in my bed. And uh, of course I met Diane Gray there as well. She was speaking and she is a bereaved parent and her words were just exactly what I was feeling. They spoke to my heart and she's just a dear, we call each other sister. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Beautiful. Right. We, we sometimes say it's like, it's the best group you never want to be a part of. Yeah. Like no one wants to join. No one says like, pick me. And it's, it's, you know, reminding me, I remember um, a number of years ago, one of our, you know, one of the women in the American widow project got married again and we went to her wedding and it's so we were laughing. Cause you know, we just noticed everyone around is like, oh God, no one wants to go near that table. Like who wants to go like go over to that table? And at the same time, who had the most fun? Because it's like, we knew how to celebrate life. And I think that is part of, part of the, um, the, the message or the, the wisdom I think that I have found is that um, standing in the wisdom more than the pain, right? So embracing the duality of, you, me, have I have been through the darkest of my life. I and so I also know the brightest of the light. And it's both. I mean, you know, grief is love. I, I the fact that I'm I still have days, you know, where I'm yearning and I'm missing so much, missing him so much is because of the depth of the love that that we had have. 
the love, you know, love is infinite, eternal, and whole. It doesn't go away. And I think it's really important, not only for people who are listening that are grieving, but also for those that are listening that know somebody that's grieving or they will run into somebody that's grieving. It's really important that there not be the fear that that you and I have experienced, um, that there needs to be a greater understanding simply from hearing what we're talking about, that there is that duality. There is the lowest of the low, but there's also the the, the brightest. I mean, I, I think about the relationships that I have now. I think about my life now. I wouldn't have had the courage to quit my job, start an organization, and devote myself, devote my life to service. And and I have the most meaning and purpose, <laughs> and I am the happiest that I've ever been, the most fulfilled, but I wouldn't have gotten here. Yeah. You know, and I still, I also absolutely, I mean, every day I cry every day, <laughs> it's eight years mm-hmm. out and I still cry every day. Um, so, so the grief is still there, but there's also this growth and this strength that I have this post-traumatic growth yeah. that, I would not have had if I hadn't gone through that tragedy. So you're right. Embracing all of it. Embracing all of it. And, you know, I think the the fact is that the facts won't change, right? Jesse was murdered. And, you know, Ben was murdered. These things aren't going to change. And our relationship to it changes, and that's, I think that's the difference. It's like, we, no, I'm never going to forget ever. However, my relationship to the whole experience, every step of the way is growing and changing and, and not to shift quickly to COVID, but as you agree, I mean, if you, there is no one, no one who is getting out of this COVID experience without some type of shift in their being. Or expectation of how their life was supposed to be, and, grief, and as a grief, as a you can community, as a as I just feel like how and it, you know when we first went into uh, quarantine, I actually had this very calm sense because I sort of had this feeling of like, oh, now everyone else maybe get a sense of what I felt like for the past, you know, just a, a tinge of that like anxiety or that fear, that overwhelm of life is different now. Things have been taken away. And so I felt this, um, this sort of purpose expanded in a different way, because what an opportunity to share tips and tools and experiences with other people of how to manage during Um, I mean, you know, I I would like to use the word trauma and grief, and that may be a trigger for some people, but we are all on some level, right, collectively grieving the life that we thought that we had. And so if our society or communities are not going to pay attention now to mental health and grief, then we're in big trouble. 
Well, the problem is <laughs> up until now, and probably going forward for some time, we focus on the problems. We don't address mental and emotional health and fitness. Um, we wait until there's a problem. And that's just kind of how we think as human beings. We're reactive. Uh, and this is the whole point of the Jesse Lewis Choose Love movement is to be proactive and preventative. We can reduce and prevent so much of the suffering before it starts. So let's talk about some ways. It, now that we've acknowledged that COVID has brought on kind of unprecedented grief, at least in our lifetime, where everybody's kind of on the same page. Mm-hmm. Everybody's given up something. Everybody's grieving something. Uh, and so what what are some ways that we can address that grief and grow through it and be strengthened by it? I know the first step is to have the courage to acknowledge that there is grief yes. in your life. That's and- what I was going to say. Like, let's talk about it. And yeah. it doesn't have to be like, let's have a talk about it. It's, it's here. Yeah. This is what we're experiencing. Yeah. I'm really pissed off that I don't get to see my family. You know, I'm really, I'm going, I love to travel and explore. I'm really feeling like disconnected and isolated. Um, I mean, let's just talk about the, or let's put it out there to bring awareness to what is going on. And I think reality. And I think what may be different, and I don't know if it's different, but an approach that I use often always is to embrace the or bring awareness around the mind, the body, the breath, and the emotions. Because if we just do the mind, the body remembers. The body knows. Mm -hmm. Um, There's tons of research on it. Um, It's not all the woo-woo. It's, you know, the, the energy work and the and yoga, it's, it's, I think there is a perception a lot of times that it is, um, there is that sort of like woo-woo aspect to it. And I can only say that I believe so much more in the unseen and the mystery because it has opened up my life so much. And so, and if those tools are very accessible, um, our breath you know, there are very simple breathing techniques to teach children and adults in any time of stress or worry. And I think that is, you know, so there's, there's, there's weaving in acknowledging and bringing awareness to your body, to your breathing, to the thoughts in your mind and to the emotions that you're feeling to normalize them and to reflect back to other people. Oh yeah, I see that you're really angry. Thank you for acknowledging that and expressing it. Be present. Be present to somebody where they are. Exactly where they are and not to fix it because I, I, there's no fixing. Nobody's broken. There's no fixing. We're all, you know, perfect exactly as we are and human beings having strong emotions and so acknowledging them, and I think that's that's number one, for sure, bringing awareness to it. Yeah, that's number holistic one. perspective. Where do we move from there? I mean, you've got people like me, like I, I'm, I, I think I'm 
pretty, uh, I don't know, I don't want to use the word aggressive, but I'm constantly searching for ways for myself to heal. And then when I find ways that work for me, I share them with others. And so what, what are some other things that you've come across? What are some other techniques? What are some things that people can take away from this podcast today and use to help them with their grief? Um, so I guess, I mean, it's, I would love to share then just the concept of grief yoga and what sort of the process that we go through with that. So grief yoga was created by my friend, Paul Deniston. So I definitely want to give him credit here. Um, and I assist all of his teacher trainings and I've been, it's a really, it's, it's a culmination of different types of yoga and techniques, but we use movement, breath, and sound as a way to release struggle so we can reconnect back to love. Mm. It's not, it's, it's yoga, but it's not like you're not coming in and doing a vinyasa flow. So it's much more of a journey around emotional liberation. And <clears throat> we do things in the way of bringing awareness to body and breath. We practice techniques in the way of expressing that through movement and breath and sound. And we find ways to connect with one another, with ourselves, and perhaps with spirit, whatever that may mean to you. And we go through a process around surrender. And surrender doesn't mean forgetting. It, it really can mean letting go of some of the struggle. And so that's, you know, that's an experience that, that um, I feel like really supports, again, grief of, of, you know, of a loved one, death of a loved one, of a divorce, of a pet, of a job, of identity, of, again, COVID. Freedom. Freedom, anything. So that's, um, as, as a practice, you know, that's, and I offer that monthly for free. And so that's something that if people want to check out, I'd be honored and humbled. And again, that is one of the classes that I teach that I find to be the most humbling. And we're doing it online, you know, like everything right now. And that's allowed my relationship with Ben to grow Mm. in a different way. It's not how I want it. Ben is your son. Does he do this? Ben is is my fiance. I'm sorry. Danny is your son. Danny is my son. Yeah. Okay. So, all right. So it's allowed your relationship with, with Ben to grow. Absolutely. Yeah. And again, I I will to this day say it's not how I want it. Yeah. I wish he was here. And And at the same time, I know that on an energetic and spiritual level, my relationship with him is, is really powerful. You know, that's a really good point because the relationship does not end. And now uh, condolence cards, I say that the relationship doesn't end. It changes. Mm -hmm. It's not what you want, but it continues. So readjust to the way that it is now. And I totally agree. I will say that my relationship with Jesse has continued and, uh, and he's still very much a part of my daily life. And I love that. Yeah. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And it's, and it's heartbreaking at the same time. And so there's that that duality. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. You know, it's, it's the duality. And it's also, I think, (laughs) I mean, you know, and again, just to go back asking what are some things that people can do? So I think it's like when I think about 
the person who may be grieving. And when I think about the person who is trying to support the person who's grieving, that idea of getting present, because the person who's in the support role, like you were saying, the, usually the reason why it's challenging to support the other person is because the mirror is being held right back up of what have I not looked at at my in my pain? Why am I not able to sit with Scarlett right now? Because I'm thinking, God, you know, how I, how much I feel for you and how I fear that happening to me. I don't want, I don't want, I don't want to be that. I don't want to go through that. Right. And so how can I get super present? And it's, I mean, it takes such conscious awareness and of my own work and courage to, and huge courage to be able to sit with another person again and, and know that like, this isn't happening to me or I'm present. I'm right here. I'm right now. I mean, it's what I did before we got on this call. You know, I grounded myself. I listened to music. I meditated because I'm going to, I want to be present for you so that I can share from my heart. If I don't do that, I'm, I'm going to react and respond from fear, from anxiety, my body's going to be super tense and it's going to be a different experience. That's not being of service to myself or anyone else. Mm-hmm. It's and so being present in the hearing, present. living life where it's happening. And that's really challenging for anybody who's experienced anything disturbing because there are triggers everywhere around us that remind us of what something that may have happened a very long time ago that is still stuck in our, in our bodies. It's stuck in our belief system. And so it takes great awareness that this is not happening right now. This is, I am here. I am right now. And maybe it's mantras that you say, I am present. I am safe. Maybe it's like gently, well, you can't, people can't see me right now, but just giving yourself a little bit of a hug or just holding, you know, a little bit of a tap on your shoulders, really acknowledging your feet on the ground, feeling rooted into the earth, you know, knowing that you're safe and that you're present, connecting with nature. Nature's always very, very healing. Absolutely. So important. Taking your socks and shoes off and going outside and putting your feet on the ground. You know, you talked about grounding. There's something called earthing and it is literally grounding your body. That is so vitally important. Mm -hmm. Um, There's havening, you know, when you, when you actually, um, it's almost like giving yourself a hug at your shoulders and then bringing your hands down to your elbows. And Mm -hmm. that is uh, calming. And it's, there's just so many different things, but it's really important that we open ourselves up uh, and we practice courage in, in trying out new things. Yeah. I mean, slowing down, right. I found it really interesting during the pandemic, everybody who's still really busy. And I'm like, what are you, what are you doing? Like, I still haven't organized my closets yet. Right. Because it's, it's, um, I haven't cleaned my house out yet. Um, and same. I, 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 I've slowed down in a way that, that required a lot of courage. And that's when I talked earlier about crying on my mat, 
because go, 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 go allows us to continue to avoid mm-hmm. what we're feeling and thinking. Absolutely. You know, and I'll, sh- this is sort of like a, a, a little example of that in my, in when I teach kids and especially kids. And this is why I love teaching um, kids and high school, college age. I have this, and I say this to any class I start always, but you know, you have full permission to show up exactly as you are. Listen to your body. If you want to lay down and sleep the whole time, by all means do that. Please listen to your body. And in almost every kid class I teach within 15 minutes, they're all on the ground. And I'm like, great. That's where we're going to go because they are listening to their body. They're tired. They need to rest. And what happens is if we keep going, 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 it allows no time to feel. Who wants to feel, who wants to say, and that's like, and again, every grief yoga class, it's like, you don't usually say, pick me. I want to go to grief yoga. I want to feel the, I want to feel the pain. I want to feel the depths of that. It's not fun. It's not fun. And I know on the other side of that is, is light. And so even now I love like yin yoga or restorative yoga because you allow yourself to put your body in a shape that gives yourself space to, to restore and to release in a way that isn't possible if you're constantly moving. And I like both, right? Like I love to run really fast (laughs) and I love to be, still. I didn't use like being still. I, I was the one who was like Shavasana, get me out. That's when you start thinking about things. You know, when the yoga teacher would say, um, you know, let your mind be quiet. Oh yeah. Who wants to be in a quiet mind? My mind, I wake up and it's like a horse race, you know, out we go. And so I have had to, and I had to, I've chosen to bring practices in like morning pages, writing every morning, three pages a day, no matter what. Um, to finding time on my mat to be quiet because the feelings will shift. Nothing stays the same. If we can count on anything, it's change. You know, you've heard the, the metaphor of the wave, you know, it's like you, you ride the wave and sometimes you're hanging out lounging in the sun and soft and it's glittery and beautiful. And sometimes it's like a, a fresh, it's allowing for all of that. And knowing that sometimes you're going to get up and like, it's going to be strong and resilient and courageous and amazing. And you're going to be riding it, you know, like a surfer, you know, right. In the, yeah. In the, in the, the curve of the wave, you know, how they yeah. go through and right. And everything's going right. And it feels really good. And then psh, yeah, get roiled. Yeah. Know? And what happens with instilling some of these practices is that, you know, you're able to you're able to manage differently, not better or worse, no good or bad, but able to manage differently when that wave happens again, because it's going to happen It may be a little one or maybe a tidal wave, but either way, we're much more able to cope with, um, and that's actually something I wanted to acknowledge about some of your, your work, because I know we can talk about this more after, but in terms of programs, and, and meeting with people, I, I love the longer term because you're developing a relationship and teaching the skills and getting to and creating that safe place for people so that there's trust there. Mm-hmm. 
And a big part of that is is building trust and having the courage to be vulnerable and present. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And doing these lessons in person and even for the educator to acknowledge that uh, even if they have the skills and tools and some of them don't. I didn't when I was 44. I didn't have social and emotional intelligence. I've learned it as an adult. Um, But even if you have it in your head that you have to practice it. And so taking the time and being vulnerable with your kids and practicing it alongside them, really important. Really important thing that we can do in our schools. A hundred percent. And I always find it so interesting though, because and I don't want to generalize, but because I know a lot, there's a lot of people doing a lot of, in a lot of communities and schools doing amazing, amazing effort and work. And at the same time, I think in general, there is this feeling of like, why is it that we teach math to our students every single day, but we're not teaching how to deal with emotions? I, I have never understood that. And so, I mean, and that's back to, excuse me, if we're not realizing now the importance of mental health in our children, then I don't know what's going to. I think we realize it because all of the the issues that we're experiencing are at epidemic levels, especially anxiety. Mm-hmm. And that leads to the unprecedented suicide rates of our youth that are, um, you know, dying uh, younger and younger and our substance abuse um, Mm -hmm. overdose rates, which are off the charts higher than ever before in the history of mankind. Um, And the violence that we're experiencing um, that's now commonplace in our schools. Uh, I think we're realizing it. It's just that uh, there's fear around how to address it. And we've been addressing it in the same way for as long as I can remember, and it's not working. And so it's actually the courage to admit. Yeah, right. <laughs> admit, you know what, what we're doing isn't working and doing the same thing over and over is not going to change it. We need to do something different. And people aren't familiar with the social and emotional intelligence. They may not even have it themselves. And so it's going to take a lot of courage for us to admit that what we're doing isn't working and start proactively addressing the cause of all of this suffering rather than addressing the symptoms. And, uh, and that's what, that is our whole message at the Jesse Lewis Choose Love Movement. We are trying to cultivate the courage that it takes to do things in, in, the right way in, in a way that is scientifically proven to reduce and prevent so much of the suffering that we're seeing in this world. And, uh, and you're part of that solution, Beth. And I really appreciate you taking the time today to share your story with us and share how you've grown and been strengthened by it and to offer um, what, what you teach and, uh, and we will continue our relationship and continue offering resources for our audience and your audience as well. So I just want to thank you so much. This is, it's really, I'm so, it's, it's humbling and it's an honor. And it's, again, it is divinely just aligned that we're sitting here together today. And again, this feeling of, it's funny because, well, it's not funny, but you know, 
it's, I feel more excited and inspired and motivated than this feeling of like dread or sadness. And that means healing. And so that means that that's possible for so many others and they they don't have to do it alone. And I think that's just what people don't have to be in this alone. And that there are so many people out there who want to help. Agreed. Agreed. And it's exciting. It's exciting. It is exciting. Well, thank you so much for today. And I hope that this has started a lot of people on their healing journey or helped them along their healing journey. We're all, I love one of my favorite quotes is by Ram Das. We're all just walking each other home. And I believe that we're all in this together. We're all the same in the want and need to love and be loved. And we can all choose love (laughs) together. So thank you so much, Beth. Thank you so much. It's all part of us, we can all choose love, it'll lift you up, if you let it in, let the healing begin. Thanks for listening to the Choose Love Podcast. Our positive, empowering messaging is reaching millions of people all over the planet. Join the worldwide movement to choose love. Our programming is in over 10,000 schools, homes, and communities across the country, in every state, and over 112 countries and counting. We're giving individuals of all ages the essential life skills they need to flourish. You can be part of the solution, too. We have sponsorship opportunities available that help support us and enable you to share in helping create a safer, more peaceful, and loving world. Contact me on our website, chooselovemovement.org.